Good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to another KG Fifth World Wildcat and Doc podcast. And we have a fourth member of the podcast joining us this evening. Introduce him, introduce you to him right now. His name is John Royal. John Royal, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me on. Tell folks about you and why we invited you on here. Okay, I'm a, I'm a freelance writer at the Houston Press. I mainly cover the college, you know, U of H and Rice. I write about the Astros every now and then, and I've been writing about Energy Stadium and Astrodome, Astrodome stuff recently. And I'm in my real life, I'm an attorney. Wow, that's impressive in his real life. So we're kind of honored that you take some time out to be with I us like here. I like the way so. he put that, real life. Yeah, in his real life, yeah. Doc, Jerry, how y'all doing? Doc? Doc, I'm doing really well. Um, trying to get back together from my last trip from Virgin Islands. So I'm getting back to the swinging thing. Why am I not surprised? And, and Wildcat, how are you, sir? I'm doing better than I was. I've been down for a couple of days now. I've been sick. Just whatever this was that was going around, it had me on my back for a little bit. All right, let's get right into it. And since and Doc and Wildcat, I'm going to be nice to the two of you. And uh, since John... Finally, finally. Yeah, since John is uh, a baseball fellow, like you two are, Going to let y'all talk, oh, talk Astros. Oh, so have at oh, it real quick. Have at it for a few okay. minutes. Go ahead, John. Talk Astros. See, see if these gentlemen know what, you, what you're talking about with the Astros. Okay, well, uh, this, it's the best time of the year for me. Baseball season starting. Um, the Astros have a lot of talent. They should be. They should be. The hopes are they should be really good this year. They still got some questions with pitching, which could hurt them. But offensively, this is one of the best teams they've ever had. Uh, that. Just gotta, just gotta hope the pitching holds together. So, what do you say? How good can they be this year? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think Picota, you know, which is one of the, which is one of the services that does, um, you know, the, tries to figure out what the records are going to be in advance. Has them as having the best record in the American League. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far, but it could, but I haven't crushed all the stats. Uh, I, they should be able to win. They should be able to get to the playoffs. They should be able to win first place in the American League West. I think. That is if they can find a way to beat the Rangers. Well, that's the key right there. So, Doc, Wildcat, what do, you, what do y'all say? I'm in agreement with that. I really think the key is about them beating the Rangers. They seem to play well against everybody else. They have a lot of pieces of the puzzle coming back. Uh, your experience, obviously everybody's going to come into the season at this point healthy. The biggest question is about the arms. Are the arms going to be able to take that next step to propel them through a season where they can uh, make a run at a championship? Well, okay. John, division uh, title. Didn't I uh, cut your uh, – did he sit home because of uh, illness? And how is that coming along, and, and how long will he be out? Well, I know Keiko's been dealing with the Keiko – should, Keiko should be ready to pitch by the – I think I read that the, I read the day that he should be – he should be making his first start and pitching in game action like in early early March. He's been out since like um, – had to pitch for the team since late August last year when he had a. He finally went out with inflammation trouble in his in his pitching arm and the rotator cuff. He said they've been bugging him the whole season, so they think they, they think they've taken care of all of it. Uh, and they really need him to be healthy because he's like the ace of the team. And if he's and if he struggles, that that puts more pressure on the bullpen. Wasn't the off season pretty much set up to for them to uh, get a, find a situation a. a uh, 
uh, a way of dealing with that, you know, to correct some some issues, bring some guys in, and get some stronger arms to, to basically for the bullpen. I'm not sure what they were trying to do with the bull, with the pitching staff this year because he didn't really do the only addition they really made of any importance was adding another starting pitcher named Charlie Morton, who is also a guy known for known for injuries. Um, he's kind of like the he's kind of like the this year's Doug Fister is kind of how I would phrase him. Uh, he's kind of like a mediocre career record. Doesn't have a lot of you know that known for I don't think he's really for a really blazing fastball. Um, and he was kind of, he didn't really pitch much the past couple of years with injuries I think. Um, he didn't really do much for many additions to the bullpens. They're going to try that some of the new young, young guys came up at the end of last season um, trying to handle some of the stuff in the bullpen. And they're counting on um, Giles to be the closer once again. Hopefully, hopefully, hoping he got all these issues from last year worked out and can, and can handle the pressure for the full season. How much are they going to be dealing with uh, consistent bats? Uh, guys not, not a, that won't be playing every day but will be added to uh, trying to put some bats in, 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 to the ball and, and how consistent will they be and uh, at least hopefully they'll be. Well, the, well, the big thing is um, their, their, additions, their additions in the outfield was uh, with um, Josh Reddick, who's not who's a really good defensive outfielder, but he's a really streaky hitter. And he'll be and, and he, he, he deals with the injuries a lot. He, so basically, it's a probably a strange combination with him and Springer playing in the outfield with both having injury issues. And the injury issues come from the aggressive style of play. Whereas Springer's more of a steady hitter. Reddick's Reddick's known for Reddick's known for um, he'll go on streaks. He'll go on streaks where you know he can't or he'll hit everything that comes within ten feet of the plate. And then there'll be game, there'll be there'll be long stretches where he can't do anything. Um, they'll have Beltron. They'll have Beltron there to be like the fourth outfielder and then to be the DH. And he, you know, he's a steady bat. Um, that's the role he played with the Yankees for the past couple years as a DH. So it. It shouldn't affect too many. Um, the big issue is like you know the guys with like Evan Gaddis, who's um, we got a lot of bats last year, but with McCann coming in to catch and with um, Bill trying to DH, um, you know that's probably going to affect some of Gaddis's bats. They're hoping that they're, they're hoping to get a um, Bregman and the uh, Cuban Guriel. I think that Guriel. I cannot say his last name, and I apologize for that. They're hoping that they, they're hoping that both those guys play regularly, can, can be like everyday first and third baseman. Um, and if that and if that happens, they'll go they'll go along with Korea and Altuve. He plays about every day. Springer, who plays about every day. McCann, the Brian McCann from the, who they picked up from the Yankees, who's who's known as an everyday catcher. So they really they actually have a lineup they can play every day, and they won't have to worry about all the platoon stuff as much. Well, has AJ settled into his his uh, managerial position, and uh, and will he be able to you know call upon some guys in order to contribute on a on a Day in and day at base, day in and day out, and as his coaching staff got readjusted, are those guys settling in? And who's who will be helpful as far as being a bench coach this year? You know, I'm not sure. I got to be honest. I'm not sure who the bench coach is this year. Um, I know they basically. I know they. The, every team always has a little coaching coaching shake, shake ups at the um, at every season, but I don't really think they made did that big of a change. Uh, hold on a second. I mean. I'm not sure who the bench coach is this year. Um, oh, Alex Cora. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure where Cora came from. Uh, they don't have a yeah. bio for him on the website. Name doesn't really ring a bell. And I don't. I don't Gary Pettis. Gary Pettis is the big. Is the is still the third base coach, which is which is, which is where the Astros have had problems in the past with guys. You know, 
when they're being waved home when they shouldn't be, or you know, starting up at third base, people who should be. But a lot of that, a lot of that, they may be probably him and B that just, they just had a young team, and young young guys will just make mistakes on the bases. Um, you know, his, bull, his bullpen coach, you know, pitching coach is still Brent Strom, and that guy, you know, he's done a pretty good job with the pitching staff. Uh, I don't think anybody can argue there with what's gone down there. And you got Dave Huggins as a hitting coach this year, and I'm not sure. He, Maybe he, can, maybe he can bring some more consistency to the because some of these guys are real streaky hitters, but that's just how it is with some some play, some some batters are just they're just streaky. There's that you know you can try and fix it, but it's just it's just how it's just their makeup. Well, also this weekend they started with the um, college uh, showcase at uh, down at Minute Maid. How did, uh, did any somebody stand out, or were you able to get get by and see any game? Any, uh, game? I haven't been down. That was like the the the. the Trip that um, Division Three baseball thing. Yes. Yeah, I I didn't go. I wasn't able to go to that. I was at the U of H basketball last night. Um, I won't be seeing any college, college baseball. We'll get on that later. Yeah, this coming weekend when I go see U of H. I mean, when I go see Rice this coming weekend. And I'll be up, be out in a couple weeks for the um, for the Houston College Classic. But I wasn't able to get down. So I, I don't even know what the new ballpark. I don't even know what Minimade looks like now with the hill gone. So I'm, I kind of anxious to see what it looks like. Well, this weekend, everybody started at home. You know, HBU, Rice, U of yeah, Rice H. Was in, Rice was in Austin. Oh, that's, that's right. They sure did. They went to, went to UT. They went to UT. We, 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 we're two and two at UT. Uh, U, of H, U of H swept the week. U of H got their sweep. They went three and zero at home this weekend. And uh, I'm not sure how I'm not sure how the other schools did. Uh, HBU went. Uh, I think it's two and one this weekend. They did. Uh, beat Fordham today. They pull up, uh, got uh, five runs. So they won today, uh, seven to six. Yeah. But they all, now next week, uh, t- well, on the twenty first, I guess that, that that'll be the day that uh, everybody will be playing at home. Uh, HBU will be over at U-, U of H, and Rice will be playing Dallas Baptist here. Yeah. It'll be interesting how these teams and all uh, adjust to. You know, to local, and what they look like. You know, and as a, a coach Graham says, uh, midweek games. It'll be interesting to see what they look early on. Yeah, especially since Rice's pitching staff is beat up. Um, so that's all. You know, they they had, you know they. I'm not sure how long William Almondor is out with a broken nose. Glenn Otto's dealing with shoulder problems. So until they get those guys back, their the pitching staff will be a question. Going to be a question mark. So in your midweek pit, your mid in you know midweek pitching. Wayne will probably have to just just go just go with his bullpen and say, okay, you guys give me you guys try to give me two innings apiece, two or three innings apiece, and just try to keep us in the game. Is Rice right? Um, he is happy. He does. He does. He is happy about the bats. He thinks he's got a lot more bats this year and a lot more power than they've had in the past. So I kind of I kind of want to see what that looks like, especially when they're playing Stanford next weekend. Is Rice baseball ranked top twenty-five? Yes, they are. Um, not, there's like five or six services that do rankings for baseball. And Rice is in th- Rice is ranked. I think the highest they were ranked was 21, and they were ranked 27 in one and 23 in the other. And the other two didn't have them ranked until they were like you know the, in the receiving vote category. Real quick, and U of H, U of H. I just ranked. see U of H ranked. That doesn't mean they're not. Like I said, I, I, I was doing a story on Rice, and I was, so I was that's why I was specifically looking up. That's why I know Rice is. I was doing a story on them. Um, if U of H is ranked, they're going to be around the same. They're going to be around the same numbers as uh, Rice. U of H is ranked twentieth, uh, based okay. on the press release that the school sent out after they swept Wake Forest today. So, 
It could be. Let me see where. Yeah, because I, I don't think we're right. I, I know when I was uh, some of when I was looking up rights, I did not see. I did not see U of H. But like I said, that doesn't. It doesn't mean they're not because there's so many rating services. It's hard to keep. It's hard to keep track of them. And each school just uses the one that has them ranked highest. Yep. That's Imagine true. that. Yeah. Uh, real quick, yeah. Alex Core came from. Uh, he played we baseball in the majors, but his last gig was as a TV analyst. With, TV analyst with ESPN. So, okay. So that's interesting. Yeah, he he went from the booth to the to the bench. Wow. They do that. They 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 have that you know ESPN and MLB Network had that swinging door where they'll have some they'll have former players go there work on the desk and become a coach or former bench coaches and stuff will go work on will go work on the desk go work you know on the baseball tonight or the MLB. MLB, MLB network programs, and then they'll they'll circle cycle back into coaching. Doc, do you have any uh, word on TSU and PV baseball? Yeah, I certainly have some updates. Uh, we kind of tied in between the Major League Baseball and HBCUs when we look at the uh, Major League Baseball Urban League Classic that they've done annually for the last couple of years. So there's four HBCU programs that played in the event. Uh, in New Orleans, oddly enough, as we talk about the All-Star game, maybe a little bit later, <laughs> as we uh, they were in the back doors of that, I guess, uh, in New Orleans playing at the uh, Urban Invitational. And there was Prairie View was there for the greater area here, Texas, uh, excuse me, not Texas Southern, but Southern, Grambling, as well as Alcorn. So Prairie View went um, one and two in the event. They got a big win on Friday. They'll come back, come from behind, win in the ninth inning as they beat Illinois to Chicago. Then they lost against Alcorn State. Game was tied 3-3, fifth, sixth inning. And Alcorn State kind of pulled out the bats and got some big runs and put the uh, numbers on the board and win that game in finale 11-3. And then they lost the, the day shut out by, you know. Ramblin' was probably the big winner as they looked really solid in their matchups. They had a big win over their rival, Southern. The game was 11-0 before they finally let um, Southern get on the board late in that game as they kind of threw in some different arms to see some action. Uh, but they had to bounce back as they closed out today and lost some uh, matchup in those kind of games. Texas Southern lost to UT uh, Rio Grande Valley 5-4, a 10-inning game today. Give you some updates of how they're looking. They played some uh, competition as they were on the road. They lost to UT Rio Grande Valley yesterday, nine to zero. So it looks like they got swept uh, for the weekend as they uh, were ten run rule uh, by UT Rio Grande Valley, twelve to two uh, in that in those three matchups that they played them. So Prairie View got the long win for the Texas HBCU programs around this area. Grambling's probably playing. Some solid ball. It just give you some updates on what took place there. Also, uh, in regards to the game yesterday against Alcorn and the Grambling Southern, those games were broadcast on Major League Baseball Network as they do every year, the Saturday event of the three-day event they have at the Urban League Classic. Doc, how is how where is Grambling and the and the uh, team, the programs, in terms of suspension, probation, and APR? Uh, for the baseball? For I mean, just overall, because 
Will the baseball team be able to go to postseason play? Yeah, it's my understanding that they're still uh, eligible for postseason play. I need to look a little closer at the uh, program that was having the issues with Southern right. in regards to APR. Um, and they had got it lifted, and then they came back and gave another indication. So I know Southern's baseball program lost to like three scholarships, and anybody that follows baseball at the college level, when you're talking about 11.7 scholarships, Losing three scholarships uh, is really significant, and it kind of showed by showing at least from the first matchup they had with the Southern, and then they got shut out again today um, against, uh, you know, so they're struggling mildly, and I think they're going to do that all year long. As you had the huge report that came out uh, with Kadar, who's a legend, anybody that followed um, college baseball, particularly HBCUs, knows what he's done for Southern baseball, therefore the SWAC baseball as well. You know, first coach to win a NCAA tournament game, won like 14 championships, uh, obviously has sent many players to the league, including winning the um, baseball version of um, baseball player of the year. Uh, when Ricky Weeks won that, I guess, ooh, time flies, 10, 12 years ago now. Uh, but they follow uh, hard times, but he wants to kind of go out on his own accord. So he suggests that uh, he's not going to die on the baseball field was kind of the quote that everybody was looking strangely at. But what he meant by that was saying that he just wants the opportunity to get the <coughs> right. Um, but after this season is long, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that. So it's going to be interesting to kind of follow the back door components of the fans, the administration, and just general people watching uh, HBC baseball. We've seen this in different sports at different institutions when a legend has kind of run its course, but how do you handle that? Uh, and so that, to me, is the big question. And probably the biggest news going into the season is uh, what will Southern do and how will Southern show up in terms of the baseball program and what will that lead uh, through the middle of the season and certainly at the end of the season. All right, gentlemen. Y'all should be happy. Y'all should be overjoyed and thrilled to death that we talk baseball on the podcast. So now we're going to shift to my domain and wake people <laughs> up and talk about the basketball. Is that right? All right, then we'll start with U of H and the SMU game last night. What happened? The better team won. Uh, John and I were there last night. U of H started out hot, 10-2, uh, led 24-11. And then they went cold. And as good teams do, SMU walked U of H down slowly but surely and tied the game up at 26th. And U of H led at halftime by 4, 30-26. And for the most part, second half was kind of nip and tuck. And then during the forty. Seven forty-eight second span. U of H was whistled for four fouls, and uh, yeah. So the refs started announcing their presence with authority. Still a line from Bull Durham. Well, the refs started. The refs started announcing their presence with authority early in, the, in like the like within the first minute or two of the game. So I just yeah, it was, they really exaggerated their authority in that forty-seven second mark. Yeah, U of H got called for what we would probably describe it as touch fouls, and ultimately Rob Gray. Uh, headed to the bench with what 12 minutes left in the second half, and 
the offense slowed down and bogged down. But even with Rob out of the game, the Cougars managed to have the game tied at 51 with five minutes remaining. And then SMU just executed better on offense. And it did not help matters that uh, for U of H that Galen Robinson struggled to make free throws. At one point, you know, this is a point guard, Wildcat. A point guard was one for seven from the foul line. I hear you, man. So, I, I, think my, I think my favorite point of the game last night was where Galen passed up a three-pointer and passed it to Kyle Meyer, who took the three-pointer and missed. And Meyer's like a, <laughs> like a center. And, well, Kyle Meyer, I mean, it's okay to be a, a, a center who can shoot threes, but Kyle Meyer is not one of those centers. <laughs> so yeah. he's yeah. maybe 12 attempts, I think. Duarte said via Twitter we were discussing it. He, and he, he was Kyle, one or 12, he, he's got one or 12 for the season. Yeah, so you see he's not a three-point. He is not one of those stretch four, stretch five <laughs> in, in, in basketball circles. Not at all. So U of H had opportunities. They blew them. And that was, you know, they had a chance to beat SMU. SMU was ranked 19th in the polls. It would have been a Coos probably, you know, marquee win for their resume. They didn't sure. get it. They lost by 10, 76, 66. So now they're going to have to win the conference championship to uh, get to the NCAA tournament. I think the big difference is U of H, and they're, and why they're still not there yet, is they still don't have that consistent third score. And when they got Rob Gray and they got Dot, Damian Dotson, and those guys are pretty much going to get their points. But if one of them goes to the bench or one of them's injured, they they can't depend. There's nobody they can depend on every game to be that third score. And last night they just had nobody really picking picking up the picking picking up the picking it up. And so that just that just really killed him because they were able to concentrate on Dot. Dot he started and he was he got off to a really hot start. And he couldn't. Then there was a period there where he just couldn't buy a yeah, shot. He, he missed six straight shots himself, and that's when the offense started getting cold and SMU started making yeah. the comeback. Coach Sampson is, you know, he's lamented post game and and after practice as well that uh, they don't have a consistent third score, and Devin Davis is still not, you know, hundred percent with his conditioning to uh, be that reliable, you know, thirteen point game in game out weapon. But last night didn't help matters. He he had two straight possessions where he scored the post on the first one, then had a face up baseline jumper, then SMU started double teaming him. And the Cougars went away from him at all. They didn't even give, yeah. give him good touches down low to make SMU defense respond and collapse to kick it out to anybody else. So, Dev Davis took five shots. I think Rob Gray took 23 shots and not yeah. 19 shots. That's not a balance. Not enough balance there in the offense from those three guys. So, we got a big game Wednesday night against UConn. UConn is now bounced back, got things kind of righted. U of H and U- UConn are 9-5 in conference. So, the winner's going to have a head up. For conference positioning for the tournament, so yeah, UConn, UConn's U of H's only signature win this year, and at, at the time it, it didn't look good at all. So no, it it looks better now, but that is U of H's lone good win this season, despite how uh, maybe Coach Sampson would want to spin it to anybody who you know on the outside looking in. But the game tips off at eight o'clock here in Houston. It's going to be on TV. So that means we won't be getting out of hot finds at 11 o'clock probably after post game is done. But it's a big wow. game. And hopefully, I mean, it's a, it's still a school night. There was a, an announced sellout Saturday for the game against SMU of 84-79. Be lucky to get half that Wednesday night against UConn probably. But y'all had a packed house last night. That's what they say. That's, that's right. <laughs> you were there. Yeah. I would say maybe... 
I would say they may they may have sold that many tickets, but there weren't that many people there. It's probably I'd say it's, I'd say it's six thousand that were there. It was probably it was the largest crowd I've seen in Hot Fives in a long time. Yeah, it, it, it was a good but crowd. They had good student yeah. support, but it wasn't. There were not eighty four seventy nine butts in the seats in Hot Fives Saturday night. No Saturday evening. No sir. Chris and John, I wanted to follow up. I know we focus a lot uh, in this particular part of the conversation on U of H. But I wanted to look in terms of SMU. Did they look uh, like the number 19 team? Did they look that good of a team? Or what is your analysis of SMU? Eventually, they did. I mean, they don't, they're not a deep team. But okay. uh, their big man, Simi Ojeele, just dominated. Uh, once he got started, he and Ben Moore is like the glue guy. He can hit from the outside and score in the post a little bit, everything for him. They're a well-coached team. They have good ball movement. They pass the ball. They get um, they find an open man, cutters, ball and and player movement. They're a solid team. You know, they're not a flashy team. They're not going to overwhelm, overwhelm you with uh, flashy plays or anything like that. There's a fundamentally sound team and they will just cut you to death you know they'll beat you slowly but surely they will just wear you down and if you don't put them away in the first half their defense is good enough to keep them in the game until the offense gets on track and that's what happened yesterday yeah, I was just going to refer to it as kind of a grind a grind team. they just grind away on you yeah um, you know they do everything they do they do the little things uh, like Chris said, they're great, good ball movement. Uh, good, they're good defensively. Uh, they're not flashy. They're just always there. You can't. You, you, it's hard. It's hard to shake them off. They're not going to. They're not going to fast break because they got. You know, they're they're playing seven, six, seven guys the whole game. So they're not. You know, they're not going to. They're not going to fast break forty minutes a game. They just can't. They can't physically do it. But they just going to. They just stay. They just stick with you. Yeah. And like Chris said, if you don't, if you don't put them away, if you don't put them away, get the big lead away in the first half, they'll just come. You're going to be surprised. Midway through the second half, they'll be in the lead. You're not going to know how it happened. And I was glad to see they have a young man from North Shore, uh, Jerry Foster. He played well for them yesterday. He had, I think, 10 points, 5 rebounds, and, and uh, 2 assists. And one thing is they're, they're tall. They're a long team. Their they're backcourt is like 6'4", 6'5". Foster kid is like 6'6". Six, six. And this, they go from like 6'4", then their frontcourt is 6'7", 6'9", 6'11". And they got long arms. When they went to... The one two two one three one half court defense. U of H did not attack it, did not respond to it, did not. They struggled against it because of their length. Because you know, Gaylor Robinson is not six six; he's five eleven, maybe. You know, so and Rob Gray is not that tall. So that that length of SMU bothered U of H, and took them a while to to adjust to that defense. And it was one of the problems. And, and then you, you can listen to uh, Coach Sampson's post game on go to my website, you know, HoustonRombarview.com and the YouTube channel, Houston Rombarview, and hear his post game comments. And he did not, he did a great job of getting to that line without going over the line of criticizing the officiating. So it wasn't an ideal officiated game, but. Some people would believe that the refs and the calls they made helped SMU win the game. Let's just put it like that. Well, let me ask this question. Let me ask this question, Ann. But what you saw last night 
because I it, SMU has been a question mark with me since I guess about the last since the, they started conference play. Are they built for the the long hauling postseason play? I guess what I'm asking is, can they get to a regional? They can get to the second weekend. They can get to the Sweet 16. They can get to the regional. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to depend on the matchups, of course. Sure. But yeah, they got they can they can make it. They can make it to a they can make it to a regional. They can make it to the Sweet Sixteen. I don't think I don't wow. know if they can get any further. But yeah. I think they can make it that far. I think they can get that. I think regional will be about as far as they get. Yeah, it would be big for the program for for them just coming out of the doldrums where they've been, you know, uh, before Larry Brown got there and built the program up or rebuilt the program rather. But but, uh, but here's here's the the reality of, of the situation. SMU basketball program in state of Texas is better than U of H. Men oh. and women. Oh, yeah, now. But trust me. That's, that's, I, I had to start on the women for a reason. No, no. I'm, I'm, but, but, yes. I'm, but just in state of Texas, SMU basketball I mean, is better than U of H. Now, you're speaking truth. So if, if, we, if we rank the Texas colleges, Texas teams, we got Baylor at the top, then you're gonna say I mean, Texas having a down A&M. year. Uh, Texas A&M, SMU, A&M, and Texas having a down year, but they're both better than U of H. I think TCU has the right coach in in, in place now, and Coach Dixon coming from Pittsburgh, come from Pitt, is right. uh, yeah. quickly gonna be better than, than U of H. So I'm not talking about this before press conference last night. Rice is quickly. Getting on that level of being better than U of H. Recent success yeah. at TSU under Coach Davis, you would say TSU is better than U of H. And that's because they're consistently a tournament team. And that's what it's about, right? That's because yeah. Davis goes out. Davis goes out and schedules. It schedules is incredibly hard out of conference schedule. I that that to me plays a big role because that makes them that much better when they get into conference. They're, yeah, you know, great point. So that's so. As a U of H alum, you know, I'm, I'm speaking truth. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything like that because U of H is my alma mater. In the rank, if you, we rank the programs, U of H is toward the bottom in the state of Texas. Well, let me ask you this question. Where does HBU stand in a, in a, in a local situation? Because they're starting to make a move now. And, they, and, and Coach Cottrell's offense, you know, they're – they're they're winning games, running the gunning. That's his style of play. That's that he likes to have have his teams play. Oh, I'd I'd say TSU, Rice, U of H are probably even on that same tier, and then HBU is after that. I don't think I don't believe the gap is as wide as some folks would have you believe among those four schools, which leads us to the discussion that we've had off and, and on podcast. Years, they need to be a city tournament. They need these schools need to play each other. They can play at Toyota Center, H and P E, the Timo Fertitta Center, whatever. But they need to have a a Philly Big Five type environment tournament here in Houston, year in year out, to generate some fan interest locally. Because we all know this is a football town, but at least put forth some effort to have basketball fans come see your programs, plural, all of them, and then you'll have a better chance of keeping some local talent in town 
because they'll want to play in front of large crowds, which none of these programs generate right now. No, no question about it. We've talked about it several years in a row. Come to the point, it sounds like we don't have to try to pull it off ourselves because it doesn't seem like they understand the importance. Because the biggest thing that I like about it is the fact that it's going to help recruiting in regards to giving an opportunity for a reason for some of the players to decide to stay around the area when we constantly are losing players at this point. You have to change it up more than what they're doing right now. I mean, it, I think they'll, and I think the alumni would really get into it from the from all the schools. Uh, I know you, I'm around U of H and Rice a lot, especially U of H, and I know the fan, I know the alumni and fans are just really, and I, it means it, Kelvin's got Kelvin Sanders got on me about this in the past, but there are fans who just really don't like what U of H does out of conference and would like to see them start getting more competitive names and more you know in more schools they've heard of, and so they don't, and they bring in Rice, TSU, and um. At HBU, and the, the fans would show up for that game because they know who these guys are. They know the schools are. There's the inner city competition, right. and they would love to have something like that. It may not help this. It, it may not do do all the wonders in the world for their RPIs, but the fan base would really get fired up for one. It's hard to get one of these fan bases fired up about these out of conference schedules. And ultimately, it would improve the RPIs because if all four programs, or at least three of the four programs, are good year in year out, then that's going to help those other other schools RPIs because if we're all good yeah. at the same time then we help each other out you know years ago there would be the knock well I don't want to play TSU or HBU because their RPI was so low you know it would hurt us if we lost to them one don't lose to them if you're yeah. so big and bad don't lose to them two if all the teams are good it's going to be a rising tide floats all boats I've said that before on these podcasts about this city tournament but some folks just don't want to do it. They'd rather schedule these unknown to the local fans programs and, and then hope that the unknown program will generate interest and fans will spend money to come see that team play. That's not going to happen. Well, at some point, they got to figure something out. Either marketing or somebody, somebody's AD got to push the button. Never cross that line and make the phone call. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I don't know who that AD is going to be. Maybe it's Charles. I don't know who, who this is going to be. But, cause I don't yeah, yeah I, I don't think the phone call will be coming from U of H. It won't be U of H. I don't, yeah, I'm, def, I'm, definitely, you know, I'm definitely not sure it's coming from them. I don't know. I'm not up at TSU enough to know what could happen. Well, if they would do, if they would start it. Though, I mean, we, we talked to Mike Davis after the Rice game back in November. He said he'd love to if he got paid. Yeah, he said it point blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to play him for free. Yeah. So real quick, uh, Wildcat, how can folks find you on the internet? You can find me on the internet at Twitter, TweetDeck, Facebook, J.L. Whitley 1, Jerry L. Whitley Jr., and on YouTube, SoundCloud, Blogger, Blogspot, the College Sports Report, AKSV, VCSR. John, how can folks find you on, on the internet? Okay, you find me on Twitter at uh, John underscore Royal. Um, and uh, generally, two or three times a week, I'm on the. I'm, I write for the Houston Press. I have some on the Houston Press website at um, 
And I forget, I can't believe, I just forgot how to get to that, what, what, the, what the website, how they title the website. I know, because it, it used to be here, it's blogs, blogs.houstonpress.com, I believe is what, how, they, how you get there now. And, um, Go ahead, you had another one, John, that you were going to get? Oh, no, that's it. Those are the, those are the two ways, um, by Twitter and, and through the Houston Press website. Certainly, and for in terms of Doc, you can contact me on the social media platforms of Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Doc Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can catch, catch me live on KKBQ 92.9 every Tuesday from 6 to 7 with Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab. If you can't catch it live on um, KCOHTV.com, you can catch it as a podcast on SoundCloud at Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab. And let's, real quick, going to talk about Rice and then get John's thoughts on the NRG renovation talk. Rice men's hoops, they lost uh, Saturday at the, to UTEP 79-71. And uh, they're now a game behind uh, the Miners. But the Owls are 8-6 in Conference USA and 18-9 overall. So as we touched on a few minutes ago, uh, their program is on, on the uptick. But, John, what are your thoughts on – well, let me ask you. Who was, who in your opinion, the best player on Rice's team? Um, right, now I have, right now it's Igor Kulichov, the, the Russian forward. Um, he's, like, he's like a triple – he's like a – double-double machine, and his double-doubles come off points and rebounds. Um, I know that um, I haven't seen him play in about a month, and I'm wondering he got there for the second half last night and was just too tired. So I'll try to get, catch one of their final home games this week. Uh, but the guy's, the guy's one of those um, – he doesn't have a con- – he's what Mike Davis he – he, he's what Mike Rhodes want. He doesn't have a conscience when it comes to shooting the ball. Mike wants these guys to shoot the ball, and if they miss, to, to, not, to, not, to not stress out over and just keep shooting the ball. He does that when he gets hot. When he is hot, he's an incredible. He's incredible. Uh, last night, though, he was like only I think um, he was like only two for seven last night. But unlike uh, some of the guys in the Cougars, he was also went to the free throw line a tremendous amount of times. I think he um, I don't know what that gas or what he that he was like. Um, I, I, wrote, I can't I can't find it. But he was like he went to the free throw line. He was eight, he was eight for twelve from the free throw line I think last night. Uh, so he you know he so he finds a way to get to the free throw line every game. Uh, he put, he's um and he's not he's not the tallest guy in the world. But he finds a way to get in there and get get, get ten eleven rebounds a game. Um, and Rose is taught Mike Rose taught by how good he is on defense. And he doesn't he's not a flashy defender, but he's always finds a way to play the lanes. And then so I, I think everybody figured Marcus Evans would be this heart and soul of the team this year. But Igor is just kind of um the way the offense has worked has been, been Igor Kulichov. And I would agree with with you, John, that Igor uh, this season has been the Owls' best player, most consistent player. Uh, Marcus yeah. Evans has been, you know, he's had his moments. But I think right. Igor, game in, game out, has been the team's best player. They got a uh, game, I think, Thursday, this Thursday, home game against uh, Southern Miss, I think. Yeah, I think so. And then they have a game Then they have a game Saturday night. I just forgot who they play. Um, that game's at 7. Um, I think that game's at 7. Uh, La Tech. Yeah, La Tech, which, uh, which uh, well, that's probably a win for La Tech, but... Um, Right. The one thing about Rice this year is, you know, even the games they've lost, they've not been they've not been blown out one time this year. You know, they, they you know used to be Rice to get you know we play a better score than they lose by twenty points, 
they've pretty much been in all their games this year. Uh, so you can you can see the improvement with the team. Their their main problem is just getting consistency every night. Uh, yeah. Last night they could not shoot the ball. They had nobody. They didn't have one guy who could make a shot. I mean, Marcus Marcus Evans struggled. He was three for eleven. Eagle was two for seven. Um, so when they, so they're not good enough. They're the talent's there, but they're not really good enough yet where they can have an off night and just beat anybody. Yeah. Um, but they're you know I give I can't wait to see how they look next year. Uh, so last but last, yeah right now though they're just at the point where if 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 the team's not shooting they just can't win a game. Because next year I think Marcus and many of the guys will be juniors, and I think Igor will be a, a redshirt. Igor senior. will be a senior. So yeah. yeah. So I think next year's team is. I expect uh, bigger and better things with them next year. Yeah. Well, the the women's team pulled off a, a big one yesterday. Uh, they beat UTEP on the road, at, uh, and it's the first time they've swept UTEP uh, in a good while. It's before, uh, the women's program, uh, even when uh, uh, Custer was rolling uh, her freshman year, and that's, that's uh, her uh, sophomore year when they had some veterans out still left over from, uh, from the other regime. And it's the first time I think uh, Kitty hadn't got back with me and I wasn't able to check it to make sure. But it's the first time that they've swept UTEP in a regular season uh, since when Keitha first got the job and she was trying to right the ship and get it, get it moving in the right direction. It was huge for them to get that big win last night, especially going this late into the season because they've got two games scheduled this week. Uh, one, they're, they're, uh, both on the road. Yeah, this is part of uh, the four-game road Marshall. trip. Uh, and Marshall, I'm sorry. And they play, play uh, Southern Miss. Uh, and La Tech. This is same like the fellow. And La Tech. They're on the road. So it's, it'll be an interesting week, and both of those games are on the road for them this week. So, yeah, the Owls, uh, Coach Langley, Tina Langley, um, she got the, got the team in head in the right direction. I mean, they're 16-9 overall, 7-7 in Conference USA. They're on, like, a what, a four-game winning streak right now? Right. Their, their future's bright, you know, and... and right hire, right, the pro, right uh, uh, recruitment group that's coming in and one that's there already. And if, we, if, we, if you ask me to rank women's teams locally right yeah. now... Uh, we, we, we're not asking. We're demanding you say something right now. Right now, because I have to ask Doc to tell me what's going on, what's happening over at TSU with them, because they're kind of having some issues. But Oh, yeah, they're falling on hard time. They had a huge horrible loss last night. They're attempting to go from um, number one in the SWAC. Uh, for five, four or five weeks, they were uh, my top five programs. They were number one in the ranking of all HBCUs in terms of the major division for Division One HBCU women program. Now they're threatening to fall out of the top five, which is significant this year, as, as we talked about in a couple of shows ago. The uh, first round or quarter rounds of the uh, SWAC tournament will be held at the top four teams finishing the regular season's home court. So I believe if they're not careful, they're going to fall to five, maybe six, but probably not though, but fall to five, which means they would be on the road instead of hosting the game and not being a number four. So they're struggling mightily. Um, I'm not sure what's going on. They're just not playing very good basketball uh, for long stretches of periods of time, which is really hurting them in, in regards to uh, the t- last couple of losses they've had 
including the one that was really tough uh, to Pine Bluff yesterday. Yeah, I so saw I, that. The biggest, the biggest win for um, for HBCU women basketball programs was the win that Bethune Cookman uh, got yesterday over Hampton, which pretty much locks up the regular season for them. Uh, 66-56 over Hampton, which obviously was the team that was playing some good basketball in the MEAC at, at that level, but uh, they really are not the same after they lost their top performer uh, earlier, uh, probably about the midpoint of the season in the conference play. And so bethune cookman Walk has taken advantage of that. At 11-1, uh, 15-9 overall, they're playing some really good basketball on the women's side. And real quick, uh, as of right now, Rice women are the best team in, in Houston, then TSU, then U of H and HBU. And the gap between TSU and HBU, TSU and U of H, second and third and fourth is huge. <laughs> yeah, that, that says a lot. Well, Chris, were you yes. surprised by Oklahoma's win over UT yesterday? Hell yes. Ah, sure as hell as, was. As put, I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, well, let me say it like this. As big as the, the, the gap at, at the final score, that surprised me. Uh, the, well, the final score was was 74-73, but that's because the Longhorns hit a three at the buzzer, so right. he was up by four. And they, and they pushed the rest of the, as I say, the last five minutes, they just pushed and just tried to get over the line. But, but I was, Oklahoma, I don't yeah. know what what transpired, how Sherry went and said, whatever she said to him in the halftime, but they figured it out. You know, they were up, and then they just came out of halftime that first three or four minutes of the second half during the third, middle of the third quarter. They just got it going. Sherry Cole is a heck of a coach. She, she continues to uh, maximize her her uh, players' abilities because in terms of, what do you want to call it, McDonald's All-Americans or whatever, yep. Oklahoma is, is not with Texas on you know in terms of that. Right. rating right now but, now but they uh, put out a big win yesterday and this is after Texas had picked up two really really big wins over Baylor and uh, fourth ranked Florida State so they right. beat Florida State part on uh, part of the big Monday this days prior last last week and um, Longhorns went to Norman Saturday and lost to the Sooners. I don't know if the Longhorns are looking ahead to tomorrow's matchup, Monday night's matchup against Baylor rematch in Austin. But whatever what happened, Oklahoma got the W, and uh, the Longhorns are going to try to bounce back Monday evening. Baylor's 14-1, Texas 14-1. Longhorns beat Baylor. They'll sweep the head-to-head and, and wrap up uh, Probably wrap up the top seed in the Big 12 for the conference tournament. You know, so they don't stub their toe after this, uh, tomorrow's game. But so yes, to answer your question in a nutshell, yes, I was very surprised that Oklahoma defeated Texas Saturday afternoon. But not nearly as surprised as I was of Tulane women losing down a few points to UConn. There you go. So uh, you, Tulane. First thing, let me say this. UConn was without Kia Nurse, and she is like the glue of the team this year. She can do a little bit of everything for them, play defense, score, help uh, facilitate the offense. She's was out with a sore ankle. 
but the Huskies struggled to make shots. But UConn led by 17 points, led Tulane by 17 points in the third quarter. Now, all of us know, even if you may not follow women's basketball a whole lot, all of us know that usually when UConn has a lead on you, the UConn will put the step on the team's throat, or the, other, or the other team will quit. Tulane didn't quit. Tulane did not quit. Tulane fought back. Tulane had a chance to tie the game in the final seconds. Committed a turnover. But yes, the final score was 63-60. And I believe that three-point margin is the closest any team has gotten. Except for, I think, the two-point defeat that uh, UConn had at Florida State out of this current 101 game winning streak that UConn is currently rolling through opponents. But that is correct. Kudos to Coach Stockton at Tulane and her staff for for her team fighting to the final buzzer. And Wildcat, I've asked you this, and it was even discussed by some of our colleagues on Twitter last night. Really? Uh, that uh, a bigger program should hire Coach Stockton. Just based on the three-point loss to UConn, <laughs> so that that tells you how team. impactful some folks are are taking treating this defeat. Gino said after the game that the the wrong team won. Thank you. Because and nobody gets that but him. Because Gino said, and you know, Gino's you know is, is no nonsense. You know, he said his his players thought kept thinking things were going to be easy. They started missing some shots, they stopped playing defense, stopped playing team basketball, you know, they started not doing little things necessary and Tulane kept fighting and kept coming and kept coming and Tulane should have won the ball game. Thought you know, you know, take a little shot at his, at his own team too. But Tulane played well, but they still lost. Let's not get it twisted. Now maybe they the close loss gave some other teams hope that it's possible. But what this shows me is what I said this whole season in these podcasts. This is not a great UConn team. It's not a deep no. UConn team. But they're no. still finding ways to win all these games because their opponent doesn't believe they can beat UConn. And that is the problem. Tulane believed they, believe that they could win that game yesterday. And they played like it in the second half. That's the start of it, right? First things first. If you don't believe you can be UConn, don't even show up. And that's what some teams do games over at the end of the first quarter. Most of these games, especially the conference games in the American, aren't even competitive. What was it? The game against South Florida, UConn won a ranked South Florida. UConn won by 60. A ranked team loses to another ranked team by 60 points? And now South Florida's on a two-game losing streak. And who comes to town, to Houston, on Tuesday to play the, the Cougars? South Florida. Oh, my goodness. I think Coach Huey's squad is going to get mashed because Coach Fernandez is not going to be happy with his team struggling because these two games they lost were at home. So they yeah. head to the road, and U of H is the first team to play South Florida. So the Bulls are going to try to snap this losing streak. Nipped in the bud real quick. We shall see how it all plays out. But but Wildcat, the second best team in the conference this year is Temple. Not South Florida. 
Temple is ranked. I'm yeah, gonna have Temple ranked getting it done in my that's top twenty five for hoopfeed.com. I'm gonna we're gonna vote submit my ballot tomorrow evening, but I'll have Temple in my top twenty five. So uh what's we have some light at in the tunnel in the American that it's not just Yukon. Now we just gotta get U of H to get on that, that train to join Temple, Tulane, and South Florida as teams that are competing and winning on a national level in the conference. And then maybe we can actually truly believe that the conference is great from top to middle and bottom. Because right now it's extremely top heavy, getting better second, two, four, and five, and then it's a cliff, steep drop down to U of A to is, you know, I think East Carolina is holding up the bottom of the conference. They're, they're the foundation of the conference with their struggles this year. Right. So, but John, I want to toss it back to you because I want to get your thoughts on the NRG renovations that I believe the first person to write make this public was the general John McClain of the Chronicle, and then other folks have chimed in with their uh, two pennies. But I want to get your take on it as well. Okay, well, actually, there was a story back in February, of, all the way back in February of last year, and it was one of their general general reports, I can't remember who it was, who just said that Houston may not, be, may not be able to get another Super Bowl until they build another stadium. And that was way back, you know, that was way back in February of last year. Nobody really took it seriously. Then, you're right, the general, John McClain, back, I think it was like Tuesday after the Super Bowl, says unless you unless they're major renovations are made at Energy Stadium, Houston will not get another Super Bowl. And then uh, then uh, I think it was Brian T. Smith wrote a column saying, you got to face reality, we got to make all these changes, or we're never going to get another Super Bowl. The thing is that nobody's te- nobody is, the Texans have been quiet about it, and nobody's able to say what needs to be, re- what's wrong with the stadium, what needs to be renovated. Uh, there was talk about, you know, well, there was problems with the elevators because the Falcons coaches got stuck in the press box. And then there was like a response, well, they got stuck in the press box because the elevator, the, the, one, the person in the, running the elevator was stopping in the wrong place and was getting people, I think, getting people out of the suites first. Uh, so, you know, that's not an elevator problem. That's a personnel problem. Um, but there's been, nobody, there's, no, there's been nothing in any story that I've read that says the Texans have to fix this to get it, to bring it up to speed so they can host another Super Bowl. Nobody will say what it is. McLean is McLean. There, there's been some stories, but I think McLean was the one who generated the major story on this. That um, instead, of, instead, of, instead of Harris County putting 105 million dollars into renovating the Astrodome for that all that stuff, to instead use that money to, to renovate Energy Stadium. And um, I know that I know uh, Harris County Judge Ed Emmett, uh, who was behind the 105 million dollar plan for the Astrodome, was not a big fan of what um, of these suggestions, and he and. and I've seen seen stuff from from out from their way that they think this is all coming from the Texans and Texans are trying to force this. And then I know last week, one day last week, that um, Senator John Whitmire and um, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and uh, there are a couple other Houstonian politicians were pushing a bill through. Um, we're going to we're going to start trying to push through a bill that would say that before any more renovations can be done, they ask them it has to be put up for another vote again. Uh, so it's, you know, there's, there's there's something going on, and there's sounds like there's powerful people trying to get the trying to get renovations done to the Energy Stadium. They won't say what renovations need to be made, and then um and they want this money to come instead, of, and they want this money to come from the money that's going to be used in the Astrodome. Uh, but that's uh, and the, 
I, I wrote about this earlier in the week, and one thing that I said was that um, the lease says it has to be a Texas obligated to keep a first class. That the county is obligated to keep the keep keep Energy Stadium as a first class facility, in line in par with the stadiums that are built five within within a five year range of Energy Stadium. That those that built five years before the stadium opened, up to those built five years after the stadium opened. But all the stories that have been coming out talk about. Well, the Texans can't compete with the Cowboys. Well, that stadium that, that stadium's not part of the lease. It, you know, doesn't doesn't fit within those lease requirements. There's stories they can't compete with the new stadium coming out in Atlanta. They can't compete with the new stadium coming up in Minneapolis. They can't compete with the new stadium that'll be coming out of L.A. or the new stadium that gets built in Las Vegas. Uh, but that's not what the lease says. The lease says it has to be a first-class facility within, to be built within five years, that comparable to stadiums built within five years of Energy Stadium. So that's. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, how the forces build that out. And the Texans have really come out and say this is what they want and say what they need. Doc, what do you think? I think it's interesting when you think about that, uh, what's playing on. And as John alluded to, a lot of it is about powerful people and positions trying to align themselves to make things happen. But you fish to the weed. I think uh, there's probably two plausible things that you really want some renovations to that stadium. Uh, when it came up, it was, you know, one of the better stadiums. But in regards to what has taken place last five years, um, it needs some cosmetic makeup. You would think at the best that would allow you to take advantage of probably some more suites. Those kind of things are really what you're looking at. And then you have this odd framework of what's going on with the Astrodome. Does this tie into what's going on with this anyway? in any way? So I think that's a part of it. And the final part is really outside of this, but it starts to show you just how far these powerful um, entities become when you look at the battle between Greg Abbott and the NFL. Uh, the NFL threatened to pull out of Texas when it comes to event considerations and, and the governor is uh, flashing his his thoughts about, you know, the need to stay out. And obviously this is a version of the SB6, uh, what many people are calling the bathroom bill. And obviously this is on the back door of what took place in North Carolina. Uh, parties are trying to suggest it's different. Others are saying it's really similar, same type of thing. And you think about it while we were talking, uh, we had the All-Star game going on. And the reason it's in New Orleans, obviously, with it supposed to be in it, Charlotte, North Carolina was the fact of this bill. So I think it's interesting that you have uh, these powerful people, particularly the owners of the NFL, who certainly want what they want to get done. And then you have politicians trying to play uh, in between in terms of what the people want, but also trying to make sure that they are not getting in the way of make, getting an opportunity to have some of these major events that everybody was suggesting was very successful in Houston just two two weeks ago with the Super Bowl. So I'm intrigued to kind of follow up on this, continue to read what John has to say as he pushes his insight on what's going on here uh, and follow because it will come out sooner than later what is really he, going on. You know, San Antonio is also really worried about this bathroom bill because um, because uh, the NCAA has said they won't, send, they won't play, play events there in places like that. They pulled all their they put most of the postseason events out of North Carolina because of the bill. 
and they right. made it clear that they'll pull out of they'll pull out of San Antonio if, if something like this gets passed. So San Antonio politicians are being very are, have been following this bill very closely, also. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of people that are uh, the concern that are involved with with sports, and that goes from intercollegiate level to the professional level. When you add all those events together, Texas uh, out was able to outbid and have facility over the last five years than any other state uh, in the country. So this becomes significant when you start thinking about it's not just the NFL thing. Obviously, the NBA is, uh, most certainly showed what they would do. The, NFL, uh, the NCAA has pulled it out. So you're talking about Final Fours. That's one level, but you also look at the Super Regionals, which is significant in terms of yeah. that. When you start looking at these Super Regionals, both for on the men's and women's side, that starts to be significant when you start looking at the fact that you have San Antonio, Dallas, as well as Houston, looking at all these places. So this becomes a serious issue uh, where we're going to find, you know, what people really think and what they want done. Gentlemen, going to wrap it up with that. Thank you very much for your insight. I'm going to go around the horn again. And uh, John, how, folks, how can folks find you on uh, Twitter? Uh, John underscore Royal. Doc? Yes, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Facebook, Instagram. And Twitter. Wildcat. Try me on Twitter, TweetDeck, Facebook. J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry L. Woodley Jr., and on Blogger, Blogspot, YouTube, SoundCloud, at AKSV, DCSR, The College Sports Report. And I am KG of the Houston Roundball Review, HoustonRoundballReview.com. Houston Round Ball Review, Round Ball Review on YouTube and Instagram, VHR Review on Twitter. You can catch our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, the KG and Fifth Wildcat and Doc page on Facebook. We're in Pod Directory as well. This was fun, gentlemen. John, thank you very much. We're going to have you on in the future as well. I'm glad you were able to. Uh, fit us in your busy schedule and share your knowledge Thanks. and insight with us. Thanks for the invite. Oh, my pleasure. I hope the listeners enjoyed it. And John's more popular than, than uh, us in, in some areas. We may get some new new listeners to the podcast once we tweet it out. So that's a good thing as Sounds well. Sounds good to me. So I'm going to wrap it up as I always do. In Thanks, conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.